Okay. The greatest story never told. So this is obviously the introduction in a speaking role of Booster Gold, as well as his robot companion Skeets. And uh, throughout the episode, I'll be telling you a bit about Booster Gold's history and uh, his main storylines and appearances in the comics. But uh, as far as some background on the uh, the origin of this episode, they uh, they wanted to do, and, and apparently I don't know I don't know how this. Uh, how the story made this particular journey, but according to Bruce Tim, uh, the pitch for this story started out as, quote, a straight firestorm story, which I took to mean, you know, not uh, not humorous, or at least not sort of a comedy episode like this one was, but rather a straight uh, straightforward, action-oriented firestorm episode. And uh, I don't know if they couldn't use firestorm. I know uh, I know Dwayne McDuffie wanted to to use Firestorm and he had the idea of uh, getting two particular actors to play uh Ronnie Raymond and Martin Stein but uh perhaps due to the fact that there's a new Firestorm in the comics uh DC didn't want to confuse the matter by having the classic Firestorm in the cartoon uh and they perhaps they preferred not to use the new Firestorm and would rather not use any Firestorm at all and and so we ended up with no Firestorm story. I don't know. But anyway, it started out as a, a straightforward Firestorm story and somehow uh, transformed into this. Perhaps they thought, well, if we can't use Firestorm, who's another sort of young, brash hero? Uh, well, Booster Gold. And uh, then they perhaps thought, well, if we're going to use Booster Gold, maybe we should make it kind of kind of a farce and, and do that. So, uh, so that was apparently the... Uh, the journey this particular episode took uh, to being made. This is Mordrew here, and I'll, I'll talk a bit about Mordrew as well. Uh, the way the story is structured uh, is quite similar to the uh, Tom Stoppard play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, which is uh, about two minor characters from Hamlet. And you see the events of the uh, classic Shakespeare play Hamlet, but through their eyes, in, mu- in much the same way. This episode deals with one of the League's most epic battles ever against Mordrew, but we don't really get to see it. We just see the parts of it that Booster Gold sees. Uh, Consequently, the story is also similar to a Buffy the Vampire episode called The Zeppo, in which the events of this huge apocalyptic battle that Buffy and her friends are taking part in is seen is only glimpsed because we're actually following another character, Xander Harris, and his adventures through the episode. Um, so this episode is structured similarly to both of those, and when they were uh, breaking this episode, they they realized how similar it was becoming to those and took steps to differentiate it, although I still think it's almost identical structurally to uh, to the Zeppo. I have not seen the uh, the Stoppard play, but I have seen the Zeppo being a big Buffy fan myself. The, this episode is written by Andrew Kreisberg, who only wrote one other episode of the series, Legends. Um, you can perhaps see certain tonal similarities between these two. Uh, but Andrew Kreisberg is a staff writer for The Simpsons, and so uh, his episodes tend to contain a bit more comedy than your average episode. Perhaps why they tapped him for this one. Uh, Booster Gold is voiced by Tom Everett Scott, um, who came to my attention in the... Uh, 
it's it's called the Tom Hanks movie, although Tom Hanks is really just a supporting character in the movie, and it was really Tom Everett Scott's movie, uh, called That Thing You Do, which is one of my favorite movies. It's a great movie about a Beatles-type band, uh, sort of teen sensations in the 60s, and, and their meteoric rise to fame, and consequently their, their downfall. And he was excellent in that. He also had a guest stint on ER, um, which I found to be... Uh, to be good as well, although he, the character he played there was, uh, was sort of off-putting, but still he was quite good in that role. Uh, Skeets is played by Billy West, a uh, incredibly renowned voice actor, perhaps best known to modern audiences as Fry and, and Dr. Zoidberg and The Professor and Zap Brannigan from Futurama. Uh, also for classic animation fans, played Stimpy the Cat in Ren and Stimpy. And uh, back in The New Adventures of Batman played uh, the Joker's Three Stooges-themed gang, Lyra, Moe, and Kerr. He did all the, the Three Stooges-type voices for them. Uh, Tom Everett Scott was apparently... Uh, this, is, this was the first voiceover gig he had ever had, and uh, he was quite nervous, apparently, during the first table read. But uh, according to Andrea Romano, he quickly got the hang of it and... He's so uh, so relaxed and so loose and so uh, so fun in this role. It's almost hard to believe that he was uh, kind of nervous at first. But and Jeremy Piven, of course, from uh, from Entourage as the elongated man, got a few uh, supporting roles. Elongated man did, but never a star turn. This was his first speaking appearance as well. I quite like the way they focus on the minor characters in this episode, but still give uh, Batman and Green Lantern and John and, and even Wonder Woman little funny, little funny bits like this. You kind of get the, the sense of uh, how the founding members are viewed by the, uh, by the new members. And I have to say, it's not an altogether flattering view of the founding members. They come off uh, quite arrogant and quite... Uh, quite bossy in this episode, and I'll talk about that a bit more at the end, but a lot of that was intentional, apparently. I'll touch on that later. So I've talked over some uh, some interesting stuff, uh, which I'll uh, now talk about. Uh, but first, uh, Elongated Man here makes reference to how he disguised himself as a vase for three days. Now, Elongated Man, as his name indicates, can only elongate parts of his body. He can stretch. He can't uh, he can't shift into shapeshift into different forms. Uh, however, Plastic Man, the other st- uh, stretchy Justice Leaguer that uh, Green Lantern makes reference to, can. And uh, a lot of that has fueled the elongated man's inferiority complex, as far as Plastic Man is concerned, uh, over the years. Plastic Man was a, is a classic uh, character, classic Golden Age character, who's found a bit of a niche in the uh, the modern DC universe as a bit of a comic relief character. Um, they were not allowed to use Plastic Man, uh, possibly because of the live-action movie that was in production at the time, or was uh, getting off the ground at the time, which was going to be helmed by the Wachowski brothers of Matrix fame, and perhaps due to the Plastic Man cartoon that eventually only ended up getting a pilot, uh, much in the same way that Aquaman was deemed off-limits for season 5, for a show that never got off the ground, Plastic Man was deemed off limits here for for a movie or a cartoon series that never got off the ground. So that's a bit of a shame. We could have had Plastic Man on the show. Another thing I talked over was uh, Captain Adam's first speaking role since uh, initiation. And Captain Adam here is no longer voiced by George Eads, 
but instead by an actor by the name of Chris Cox. I'll get back to that in a second, because here we're about to see the first appearance of the Composite Superman. Composite Superman is a character that has Superman obviously on one half of his body and Batman on the other half of his body. I'll talk a bit about him in a second. Let's see if I can keep all these balls I'm juggling and procrastinating here in the air. Uh, getting back to Chris Cox, um, George Eads apparently, according to Bruce Tim, and this is these are his words, apparently didn't feel it was worth his time to come back and record uh, only a few lines of dialogue for Captain Adam in this episode, um, and so he was replaced by Chris Cox. You can interpret that however you will. Uh, Chris Cox, uh, I, I wasn't able to find a lot about him. Um, he's done a considerable amount of uh, voice acting in the past few years. He's been on Family Guy and a bunch of other shows. Um, he's also apparently a, a writer and a producer uh, of some note, so not just an actor, a bit of a triple threat there, apparently. Um, another thing uh, that some people wondered about this episode was why uh, the more magic-themed Justice League members... Um, weren't facing off against Mordrew. Where are Zatanna, Etrigan, and Dr. Fate, some people asked. Well, according to Dwayne McDuffie, Mordrew took them out before the episode even started. Another thing uh, that I talked over near the beginning was when Jean was uh, handing out assignments and uh, telling which leaguers to report to the uh, the transporter pad, and uh, he reeled off a list of names, and then there's a pause, Booster clears his throat, and then John says in a deadpan fashion, Vibe. Now, it's funny that <laughs> even Vibe gets called down before Booster, because Vibe has sort of become the poster boy for really lame-ass Justice Leaguers. He was uh, a rather offensively stereotypical uh, Latino character, a break-dancing street tough, if you can believe it, who could uh, create seismic vibrations. So that's why it's funny that uh, Jean sends down Vibe before Booster Gold. That's how much he dislikes Booster Gold. So I promised a bit of uh, background here on uh, on a few characters, so I'll, I'll tackle Booster Gold first. Uh, he was created by writer-artist Dan Jurgens for Booster Gold Number 1, which was published in February 1986. Uh, his origin, is, his real name is Michael John Carter, and his origin is that he's a 25th, 25th century excuse me, football star um, whose nickname was Booster. Uh, he was caught betting on his own games and uh, was drummed out of the sport, i got to wonder why the scientist guy doesn't just stand still, because it would be a lot easier to help him if he did, but we won't talk about that. Uh, so yeah, so Booster was drummed out of football and uh, got a job as a night watchman at the Metropolis Space Museum, which included among its exhibits uh, displays on Superman and other superheroes. Uh, Booster got the idea that if he were to travel back to the time period of these famous heroes, with his knowledge of the future and his, you know, skill and charisma, as, as he would have put it, um, he would be able to make a lot of money. Uh, so he stole equipment from various superhero displays, stole a uh, Legion flight ring, and traveled back in time. He reprogrammed the museum security robot, Skeets, to be his companion, and traveled back to the present day to become rich. Uh, apparently, although I've never read the early Booster Gold stories myself, he, uh, he wanted to be known as Gold Star, 
but after he saved Ronald Reagan's life and uh, was asked what his name was, he messed up and uh, said Booster instead, and so uh, Reagan introduced him as Booster Gold, and that's the name that stuck. Um, he achieved his greatest fame as a member of the Justice League International the, under the uh, Giffen de Mateus Maguire run in the, uh, the late 80s and early 90s, uh, where he was often paired up with, uh, for, for comic relief with another character, Blue Beetle, who was unfortunately uh, not allowed to be used in JLU either. Uh, the two of them had some had quite a few wacky adventures over the years. Um, relatively recently, his character has taken a little bit of a darker turn. Uh, after Blue Beetle died in action, Booster felt responsible and, and began to feel incredibly guilty that he has he or rather, if he had simply paid more attention, he could have had all this knowledge of of all the bad things that were going to happen, and he could have stopped them from happening because he was such a screw up in his own time. He doesn't know anything useful, and his best friend died as a result. So he uh, he tr- returned to the future, and then came back to our time armed with uh, all this knowledge programmed into skeets that would ostensibly allow him to prevent disasters. Um, but because of time being out of flux as a result of the recent infinite crisis, all of his information is now wrong, and it led to this whole big thing in the, the weekly series 52 where he was forced to... Uh, to develop a new identity for himself as a result of even more time traveling uh, in order to uh, defend himself from Skeets who had become evil. I know that sounds very complicated and perhaps more than a little silly when I describe it in brief form like that, but by all means, read 52. This is a funny little scene here. I love this. Uh, the composite Superman that showed up earlier and, and only showed up briefly and will not be seen again throughout this episode. Uh, composite Superman, believe it or not, uh, a villain that looks exactly like that did with Superman on one half of the body and Batman on the other half of the body, uh, is a classic villain in the comics that debuted in World's Finest Comics, number 142, in June 1964. I love how Skeets is quote-unquote pacing there. Uh, the original composite Superman was a man by the name of Joseph Meech, a uh, professional diver, uh, an athlete, uh, who had come upon some hard times. Um, he concocted this incredibly elaborate and dangerous diving stunt to bring himself back into the public eye, uh, but when it became too dangerous, Superman had to save him. Um, as a way of getting Meech back on his feet, Superman gave him a job at the Superman Museum, Getting a sense that superheroes really like to have museums dedicated to them. That's that's kind of kind of funny. Um, I'm actually now just as I'm saying this, starting to realize how similar his origin is to Booster Gold. Actually, that's a little funny. Um, anyway, Meech got this job at the Superman Museum, and uh, when he was uh, guarding it one night, uh, lightning struck statues of the of the Legion of Superheroes. Which, and believe it or not, and I'm reading this with a straight face, this is just the way it was back in the Silver Age, the statues weren't actually statues, but quote-unquote lifeless duplicates that somehow contained all the Legionnaires' powers. Uh, and when the lightning struck these lifeless duplicates, uh, it imbued Leech, or Meech, I should say, with their powers. Uh, one of the, Some of those powers obviously being shape-shifting powers from Chameleon Boy, he was able to shape-shift his look and took on the classic uh, composite Superman look with the half and half 
uh, he tried to blackmail his way onto the world's finest team by uh, threatening to expose Superman and Batman's identities. He eventually tried to rule the world, but his powers eventually faded and he was no longer a threat. Later, an alien named Zan got the powers, but Superman and Batman were able to trick him into giving them up by making him believe that he was killing himself by using them. And then finally, uh, the only modern incarnation of the composite Superman that exists to my knowledge was a giant uh, spacefaring robot created by the new Toy Man uh, that uh, Captain Adam used to blow up a giant kryptonite meteor. So that's a little nutshell history of uh, of composite Superman. Now, as for Mordru, the uh, ostensibly the villain this episode, he's traditionally a Legion of Superheroes villain, although recently he's uh, he's faced off against the Justice Society uh, several times in his younger form. Um, he would often grow to uh, 100-foot size in order to do battle, which explains his huge size in this episode, but his, uh, his much smaller size at the end of the episode. Um, apparently his, his great phobia was being buried alive, so i got to think maybe the way Elongated Man was able to defeat him at the end uh, I didn't know Vibe could fly. That's a little strange. Anyway, um, maybe the way Elongated Man was able to, to beat him at the end was to wrap himself around him such that his, uh, his fear of, uh, being smothered and buried alive kicked in and, uh, and gave them an opening. I don't know. It's the only thing. I mean, we're not supposed to know how Elongated Man defeated him. That's why it's funny that of all the Justice Leaguers, Elongated Man would be the least likely to defeat him, and that's why it's funny. But if you want to try to come up with a logical explanation, that's the only one I can think of. This is the only time when the scientist guy tries to do something useful by, uh, I guess by trying to suck in that building and help them here. Uh, I guess it was maybe his, his reason for turning around. Scientist guy is pretty dumb, actually, because if he were to just, you know, stand still, they'd have an easier time getting it on him, but he always, you know, turns around at the wrong moment or, or walks down populated areas and sucks people into himself. I don't know, he's, he's not thinking this through very well. The only problem I had with this episode when it first aired was that Booster's little uh, crisis of self-doubt seemed to seemed to come on all of a sudden. He's very gung-ho, very confident, very arrogant, and then after he gets hit by that uh, subway train uh, a few minutes back and uh, sits up and he says, "Who am I trying to kid?" That just that just comes out of nowhere. I mean, I understand uh, you know emotionally where he's coming from, of course, because he's he's right about himself to a certain degree. But uh, if they'd sort of played up a little bit of his doubt or, or his uh, insecurity earlier in the episode, I think it would have worked better because he just comes off as a jerk who suddenly becomes whiny uh, in this episode as opposed to being a, a guy who has a lot of uh, doubts about himself but tries to cover it up with, uh, with his, uh, his brash, outgoing attitude, uh, which is the way Booster Gold has been always, or, or most, uh, most enduringly portrayed in the comics. But, uh, that little bit of a characterization misfire here, I felt, uh, for that reason. 
but by and large it uh it goes by so quickly that you're sort of swept up in the uh the drama of it you don't really have time to think about it and as you on on repeat viewings it doesn't really uh doesn't really bother me uh, nearly as much but initially i kind of felt wait where's where are the where are these doubts coming from all of a sudden here when skeet says uh, my gosh it was full of stars that's a uh, 2001 a space odyssey reference of course in in that movie they were able to say my god it's full of stars The other thing I want to point out is it's coming up here in a second as we see uh, that Elongated Man has defeated Mordrew. And uh, when we pull in on a close shot, when uh, Captain Adam says, nice work, Elongated Man, you see uh, Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt in the background, the sort of pink, lightning-like character. And uh, I don't know why they chose to include Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt in this series, since they never, even in the background, don't appear hardly ever. There he is floating right there. That's that's the biggest role the Thunderbolt ever got, sadly enough. And he's here, and, and Johnny Thunder isn't even here. Johnny Thunder appeared in um, an initiation. I think he might have been in the crowd scene in Divided We Fall. And then uh, you saw the Thunderbolt again briefly uh, here, and in uh, Destroyer. And that was it. So I don't know why they would bring Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt in if they didn't even want to put them in the background at all. But uh, the Thunderbolt looks kind of weird. It looks kind of weird floating there by himself. You kind of wonder, what the heck is that, if you don't know from the comics. Now here, I said I was going to talk about this earlier. Um, Batman's attitude towards Booster here is, of course, somewhat justified, but what they wanted to do uh, here was sort of set up the uh, the arrogance and the superiority uh, complex that the original seven members can have at times. This was a little bit of Cadmus foreshadowing when the uh, the original seven members, by the time you get to, say, Doomsday Sanction, are, are sitting in their sort of imperious-looking uh, judgment room there, passing uh, passing sentence on Doomsday. And as Batman says at the end of that episode, sitting up there in their floating fortress like gods and passing judgment and, and doing whatever and the human race being afraid of them. Uh, they set that up very subtly here by uh, by establishing that the, the original seven see themselves as being somewhat above the other superheroes and then by extension the rest of humanity. So that was a little bit of subtle foreshadowing there that I felt was quite effective. So that's the greatest story never told. The uh, quite effective comedy episode that introduces Booster Gold. Thanks for listening.